We are in the book of Romans, and we are going to read several passages from this rich letter of Paul. I want to begin in the first chapter. I'll call out the chapter numbers if you'd like to follow along as we read and listen to God's word together. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Chapter 3. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Later in that same chapter, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In the very end of the letter, chapter 16. Now to him who's able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, his holy word. Amen. I want to thank Matt Kane for preaching last Sunday and uh, taking us through the book of Acts. That book is a behemoth, 28 chapters, and I hand it to Matt for taking that on. Let me ask you, when was the last time you wrote a letter or received a letter from someone via surface mail? 
not talking about texting. That's not a letter. No email. You wrote a letter. You received a letter via surface mail. After the Gospels in the New Testament, God's big story is told through letters, which were written originally to various churches and various individuals uh, just a few decades after the time of Jesus. And as the apostles and the followers of Jesus began to spread the message of him throughout the ancient world, gatherings of Christ's worshipers began to appear in villages and in towns and in cities. And these letters in the New Testament give us insights into the issues, the struggles, the challenges, and the life in these new communities of Jesus' worshipers. Most of the letters in the New Testament that we have are written by a man called Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, whose conversion to be a follower of Christ and whose ministry as the premier evangelist and missionary in the early times of Christianity fills a good part of the book of Acts. You can read all about Paul in the book of Acts. His letters are all together in the New Testament. They start with Romans. They go through Philemon. They're that whole section, and they are arranged by size. Romans is the longest. Philemon is the shortest. Paul is huge in the biblical story. He's a major player. He gave his life to bringing the good news of Jesus Christ, mainly in places where it had not yet been heard. After planting a church and getting a community going, Paul would stay for a while, make sure the people... Uh, were clear on the Christian message, and then he would find leaders to make the church sustainable, and then he would move on. But he would continue to instruct and to mold and to help these churches by writing letters of instruction, encouragement, uh, letters of correction. And in these letters, Paul helped them understand what, what they were supposed to believe, how they were to live, and how to work out this Christ life in their own circumstances. This new thing, which wasn't even called Christianity for a long time, was just developing. And Paul, more than anyone else, helped shape what that was going to become. The good news of Jesus Christ was expressed in these letters to particular people, particular churches in particular places. And these churches lived within what was then the Roman Empire, one of the greatest civilizations that we have known on the face of the earth in all of human history. The Romans influenced law. They influenced military. They influenced government. And some of the classic writings of ancient Rome are still read, and particularly in our institutions of higher learning today. Well, there was a community of believers in Christ that started and grew in Rome. Might have been one group. Might have been a number of small groups. We don't know. Interestingly, Paul had never been to Rome himself. He did not know these people. He never met them. He didn't start this church. But his letter, which we call Romans because it was written to some people in Rome, though it was little known in the glorious Roman Empire of that time, his letter has left all other historical and literary writings from that time in the dust. No other piece of writing from the Roman Empire has been as transformational as Paul's 
letter to the Romans. The British pastor, the New Testament teacher, John Stott, called Romans kind of a Christian manifesto. Everything we hold to and own and believe as Christians is there. Great Christian thinkers like Augustine and Martin Luther and John Wesley and Jared McClure, they, their lives have been turned upside down by, by, by reading Romans. Paul writes so many fundamental and basic vital parts of the Christian life in Romans, and, and that's one of the reasons it speaks to so many people. For example, in Romans, he writes about how and why God saves us. He writes about how forgiveness works. He writes about prayer. He writes about the Holy Spirit. He writes about suffering and how to live with hope when we're suffering. How to be right with God and other nuts and bolts and practicalities of the life with Christ. Some of the most beloved passages of Christians throughout the ages comes from Romans. Now, as I said, Paul had never met these Christians, and he tells them, hey, I want to come to Rome. I want to come see you, because Paul has taken up an offering for poor Christians from Jerusalem. He's going to travel on his way to Spain, and he wants to stop in Rome and meet them. And because they don't know Paul, Paul writes them to let him know who he is, And what his gospel is and what he preaches. He wants them to trust him. He wants them to welcome him. And when he arrives, he wants them to know that he's good, that he's kosher, that he checks out. And in the first verses of Romans, he introduces himself and he kind of outlines the basics of his gospel in a nutshell. How it all goes back to the prophets of the Old Testament. How God's son came from David and came in the flesh. How Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And how we are now to obey him in faith. And the essence, I, the, really the essence of Romans is stated in chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. We read them, but let's read them again. Where Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith. For faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the power of God. And that word power in the Greek biblical language gives us our modern contemporary English word for dynamite. The gospel of Christ is the dynamite. Of God. Now, what do we use dynamite for? To blow things up. And to make a way, maybe to make a clearing, a path, an opening. The gospel of Christ blows up myths and misconceptions about how to be right with God. The gospel blows up misconceptions that people have about this. For example... I will get to heaven as long as I'm a good person. Religion will save me. The harder I work for God, the more favor I'm going to have with Him. Since God always forgives me, I can live any way I want and do anything I want. I'm not really a sinner and there's nothing really wrong with me, especially compared to other people. 
if I experience hard things, God must not love me. He must not be with me. The gospel, which Paul so clearly articulates in Romans, blows all of those things I just said right out of the water. Perhaps the greatest theme of Romans is that the only way to be right with God, to have peace with God, to be acceptable to God, is to have faith in what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for us. You know, the word faith appears in the book of Romans over 40 times, more than any other book in the New Testament. And Romans tells us that our faith faith is based on what God has done in Jesus Christ. Our faith is not based on our ability to have faith. Our faith, it is more important in our faith who we have faith in than how we have faith. Living by faith is staking our lives on what Jesus Christ said and what he did. It is the conviction that through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross and his being resurrected from the death, that our sins are forgiven, that the debt that we owe to God has been canceled and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and belong to our Father as his children. It doesn't mean that our faith never has doubts or struggles or questions. It doesn't mean to live by faith that we're immune from suffering. We aren't, but we hold on in the midst of it all. And you know, Paul actually quotes from Habakkuk, that last little line where he says it is written. Remember Habakkuk? Who remembers Habakkuk? Paul says the righteous, those who are right with God, live by faith. We don't live by our wits. We don't live by our wits. We don't live by our charm. We don't live by our financial power. We don't live by our business sense. We don't live by our spirituality. We live by faith. You know, in essence, there's two types of people in Paul's world. There are pagan, non-religious people, and then there are religious people. And in Romans, Paul shows how those who live without concern for God are separated from him. And then he turns around and shows how those who are religious are no better. With the dynamite of the gospel, he blows up those who live without regard for God. He blows up those who are finger-pointing moralists, and he blows up self-confident religious hypocrites. Paul lays it all on the table, and he says, all of humanity stands guilty before God, and no one can justify God on their own. Even you, churchgoer, he says, even you. No one cuts it or makes it with God on their own which leads to two words on which the entire letter turns. But now. Now, I'm pretty sure those two words are not two words you would pick out as being very important in the Bible. But these two words introduce the gospel, the good news, that while everyone is guilty before God, now God has made a way apart from the law to be right with him. Yes, people have tried to make it with God by keeping all the rules and the commandments, but now the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know how, how much all is? All? It is everyone who has lived, who is living, and who will ever live. But now, Those of us who have fallen short of God's standards and ways, 
are justified by grace as a gift. God gives us the gift of clearing all our wrongdoings and being absolutely good with him. And it comes because of grace. People have tried to be right on their, with God on their own efforts. But now, God justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, it's after you've realized that there is a real moral law and a real power behind that law and that you have broken that law and that you are wrong with that power, it's then that Christianity begins to talk. And when the faith of Jesus Christ starts to talk, you know what the first word is? Grace. If faith is the biggest theme in Romans, grace is not far behind. I want you to imagine that you had a few blemishes on your driving record. Maybe some speeding tickets. I mean, nothing over 90 miles an hour, but you got some. And maybe a DUI, just one. Uh, and then there's the time you didn't see the oncoming car and you made that left turn into it. And a couple other things. And your auto insurance agent calls you in and you know what's coming, right? And your mistakes have gone over your head and you're going to have to pay big time. And the agent says, I have found a way to deal with your mistakes and your record. He says, you can't overlook them, but... He will do this. He's going to find someone with a spotless record who's never broken the law, not even a parking ticket. And that person has volunteered, he says, to trade insurance and driving records with you. He will take the person with the spotless record and he will put your name on it. And he will take your name and put it on that person's record. An exchange. He will face the consequences. That other person with the perfect record will face the consequences for what you did. You're going to be totally cleared and good to stay with the insurance company. You are totally blown away by this and you ask, well, what person would do this? And the agent points to himself and he says, me. I'm going to do it. It's me. grace. The perfect record of Jesus Christ was given to you. And your record was given to him. Someone said this, grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. God doesn't say what we've done is okay. What he does is pay the debt with his son. Because if, if, if God just merely ignored sin and the state of our hearts, he wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be merciful because that would be to condone evil. God can't do that. God would not do that. God has dealt with all our mess once and for all, decisively and finally through the cross. Faith is trusting that grace which God shows us. Well, from here, Paul goes on to write about Abraham, 
who was made right with God by faith, he says, because he believed God's promises. And Paul goes on to clarify that just because we have this grace as a gift, it doesn't mean that the more we sin, then the more God can be gracious to us. No, he says the appropriate response to this gift of faith is to live lives of faith and obedience to God. What he calls, he says, be weapons of righteousness. And Paul writes a very personal account of his own struggle with sin. He says, man, I know what God wants me to do, and so many times I can't seem to do it. But he says the only victory for him is the victory of God in Christ that allows him to stand, which leads him to chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, chapter in the entire Bible. It begins by assuring us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If you are in Christ, you are in no way, shape, or form condemned by God. In Christ, God has dealt with your record. Chapter 8 goes on to speak of how we now live by the Spirit who lives in us. And about the sufferings we experience in our lives through this broken world and the hope we are to live with as we wait for God to someday change things and redeem this world. And how as we wait for that, the Spirit helps us to pray because sometimes we just don't even know how to pray about it all. Ever have trouble knowing what to pray? And how God works all things together for good for those who love Him. Ever get discouraged by bad things that happen in your life? And how through all these things we face in this world, the hardships, the distress, everything in life and in death, God is for us and nothing, absolutely nothing anywhere can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ever wonder if God really loves you? Chapter 8 is worth our time. It is so rich. It is so powerful. Chapter 8 leads into chapters 9, 10, and 11, which are probably the hardest chapters in all the New Testament. And Paul takes up the destiny of the Jewish people and why they don't believe in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Paul himself is Jewish, and he talks about this, and and, uh, he sees a day when many Jews will come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. But you can read that. I said that faith is perhaps the biggest theme in Romans, although grace is certainly right up there. The faith that Paul writes about in all his letters is a faith that is to be lived. And the final chapters are about how that faith is lived in the practical day-to-day situations of our lives. Paul writes about the importance of loving one another. Paul writes about living amidst those who persecute those particular Christians and us for our faith. He writes about how to live, he tells them how to live under the oppressive authority of the Roman government and other ways that faith in Christ makes a difference in our relationships to one another. You know, the Christian community in Rome was made up of Gentile Christians who had never been to synagogues, they'd never been to worship, they didn't know the Old Testament, they didn't know any of that stuff. And it was made up of Jewish Christians who knew all that stuff and had background and experience with that. And they took the law very seriously. And we get the sense that those two groups don't always, didn't always see eye to eye. And being together in the churches for them was complicated. And Paul tries to address the need and the concerns of both of those groups, encouraging them toward unity. And he lays out his plans to come to them and 
he ends by giving an unusually long list of greetings to people in that Christian community in Rome. Again, Paul has never met these people and he's trying to get on their good side. Nothing sets apart Christianity like grace. Man. We are a people who bank on the undeserved, unearned kindness, love, and mercy of our Father. And in Romans, through his personal words to a people long ago, Paul helps us see this part of the big story and how this grace is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, if you feel inadequate as a Christian, read Romans. If you've walked with God for a long time, but you find yourself struggling to live faithfully with God, read Romans. If you've been living by your own resume, hoping it's going to be good enough to win you God's favor, read Romans. If you think you're spiritually or religiously superior in some way, read Romans. If you need to go back to the basics of the gospel again, or maybe you just felt like I've never really gotten the basics of the gospel, read Romans. It has renewed more than one life. It really comes down to grace, what God has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. And it spells out the power of God. And as Paul writes to end this magnificent letter, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you take the words that have been preached and enlarge our hearts to live by faith and to know your grace. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, risen. And we thank you for the grace that we receive in him. Amen.